hire enough so that you can power your roadmap but uh, don't over hire and don't build your teams up too quickly because uh, that by itself can start creating overheads for you as a company sometimes these overheads are important and you need to have a large team to deliver on your ambition and roadmap but being careful about making the choice and taking that middle path is very important <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Anand and this is the Scale Playbook, a new mini podcast series under our Seed to Scale initiative. While most of our other podcasts are targeted towards early stage founders looking to build and scale their companies, we thought it would make sense to have another mini series especially for founders facing fast growth to discuss scale issues they might encounter and how they can navigate those. Hence the name, the Scale Playbook. In this series, we'll unravel the playbook for solving scale challenges across different business functions like engineering, product, sales, strategy, to name a few, through candid and pinpointed conversations with specialists from some of the most successful startups from the ecosystem. I hope you find these conversations relevant and helpful. To learn more about Seed to Scale initiative and to check out our show notes, head on to our website c2scale.com/insights after listening to this podcast my guests today are two industry stalwarts from flipkart one of india's largest e-commerce platforms our first guest jay short for jayendran venugopal is the chief product and technology officer at flipkart and has previously led in several engineering and product teams at mintra yahoo and amazon our second guest Narendra Ravula is the vice president and head of strategy at Flipkart and was leading product strategy and operations at Salesforce and NetApp prior to Flipkart. As you might have guessed, today's episode is focused on building a strong engineering team and strategy. We chat with Jay on his learnings from his past experiences leading several engineering teams and hear his advice for founders on scaling engineering. We listen to Narendra's take on how Flipkart looks at strategy and how companies at scale should go about setting up OKRs. We will also touch upon new Flipkart Leap Accelerator targeted towards early stage founders. Hope you find this conversation helpful and actionable for your own startup. Hey, welcome guys. Jay and Narin, thanks a lot for taking the time. Welcome to our new series called The Scale Playbook. And uh, thanks for being the first guest on this new series. Yeah, thank you Anand. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you Anand. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So, I'm going to dive right into the questions on the first section for the first 15-20 minutes. Let's cover on technology side and then we'll switch to strategy and talk about strategy with Narin. So, Jay, I'm going to start with you. So I'm starting with a basic question. What's the role of a head of engineering or engineering leader and how does that differ from a CTO? So this is aimed at startups who are just starting out they might have one technology person or a small team. So as they find product market fit and start scaling, obviously they'll have to think about these questions. So all the questions are aimed from that point of view. Absolutely, I think if you look at a CTO, my definition is an executive role, right? So the idea for CTO is to have a seat at the table along with the rest of the business leadership in the company, right? Business operations and uh, the rest of the functions. 
and uh, represent engineering in a meaningful way there so that uh, the engineering lens is applied when evolving company strategy as well of course cto in typically product and tech led companies uh, have a, a huge role to play in also other aspects of working with the board fundraising and other elements as well right whereas the engineering leaders role typically is a lot more uh, inward focused and it's primarily an operator's role with the focus being in terms of maintaining the technology hygiene of the product and the code base being developed working with the teams closely to vet architectural decisions design elements of the product being built and in maintaining the cadence and effectiveness and speed of delivery within the teams and of course managing the teams the day to day elements of running a program etc are squarely on the shoulders of engineering leader and the engineering leader and the cto typically have to work very closely together and in some cases it may be the same person playing the role and but in many cases it is not uh, it could be two different people playing the role but uh, these are two distinct roles in my in my opinion got it maybe just quick walk through your career you were in mintra before and then flipkart and now what was your initial role and how has that changed over time yeah. uh, so i mean uh, the very early parts of my career of course i started out as an engineer grew through the ranks started doing architecture work and then uh, went on to engineering management from there on uh, started doing more right in terms of taking on larger portfolios and eventually uh, being responsible for more than engineering right uh, including product management design user experience data science and uh, elements of product operations and so on as well so the role has uh, evolved over time to encompass the larger scope of what a product and tech led organization looks at as belonging to the domain of product and engineering got it so from your personal journey so when you were a head of engineering so it was more inward looking and and i'm just trying to digest what you said it's managing the internal deliverables and everything and now you're the ctpo for flipkart which is a very large organization so in addition to that you're doing the outward like board and uh, strategy and longer term vision and is that an accurate thing did i summarize your two major differences absolutely i think in terms of my role today it is not so much in terms of managing day to day execution right so we have people at uh, several levels within the organization who will be much more effective and efficient at doing that uh, right and my role is actually in terms of setting the vision and strategy for the organization doing the right level of allocation of resources working with the rest of the functions to uh, make sure that we are responsible part of the pnl of the company and in terms of driving innovation pipeline within the company right so elements of being able to inspire and motivate the organization uh, with respect to the overall vision that we are striving for as a company uh, and aligning the resources and uh, the goals that we set up within the organization with what the company needs and the market and the consumers need is the bigger part of my role uh, today if you were to ask me got it and if you look at hiring most of the startups are probably more at the engineering leader head of engineering role right so what are the must haves and nice to haves for the founders who are looking to hire See, typically in a company which is in a early to even a mid stage startup right let's say that definitely product market fit established maybe even a series a or even a series b company and uh, engineering leader typically is expected to be fairly deeply connected with the work that the teams are doing right uh, they typically are also hands on they not only doing architectural validation but also are actively thinking about evolving the architecture to 
suit the company's needs as they see it over the next one, two, three years, right? So that is a big element of what the engineering leader needs to do. So they need to have very clear governance and control over execution, quality of what is being produced, and the reliability of systems. That's a very, very important aspect of engineering leader's role, right? So you do not want to disappoint your customers and have to actually have the right metrics to be able to monitor and continuously improve your systems and processes, right? So those are very, very important elements of an engineering leader's role. The In terms of nice-to-haves, I think it'll, typically sometimes you, you see people who are very successful tech leads evolving and taking on an engineering leader role in, let's say, early series companies. And they're also fairly hands-on, right? So they may as well actually uh, also be writing code and uh, doing a lot of hands-on work. But I would say that that is more uh, probably optional, especially when you scale up a little bit further than early series, right? So that, that's how I would see it. Got it. So there's probably a phase where it's less than 10, 20 people or a small team, and then you grow to 50 or so engineering and then you go to 100 plus. So different phases, right, of the startup journey. And you're saying it's not so important to be hands-on coding, which is very critical in the early stages. As you scale, you become more of a people process quality, all that it becomes a lot more important, right? So how do you know for the founders who started with an engineering leader, how do they know that whether the engineering leader is scaling or not? Any signs that they can look out for or... How do you actually keep your eyes out for leaders within your organization? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Typically, like anything else, right? So we need to look at metrics, right? So typically, you will see high level of churn in an engineering organization, right? Attrition will be very high. Typically, engineers get frustrated when they don't have clear direction in terms of what they need to execute on, right? So if every other day they're getting conflicting instructions and uh, lots and lots of U-turns happening, that is a sign that the interfacing role that the engineering leader has to play to effectively kind of create a clear roadmap in the short to medium term for the engineering organization is not happening. So that is one metric I would definitely encourage, let's say, founders, boards, etc. to look at, uh, right, on the health of the engineering organization as reflected by the morale of the people in the organization. Mm -hmm. The other important metric I would say is in terms of the reliability and resilience metrics of the products being produced by the company, right? So if you're seeing increasing level of angst from customers, you're a B2C company, definitely watch out for key metrics like crashes per 10,000 sessions on, on Play Store and App Store. Or watch out for uh, reviews and ratings being provided by customers or your product on the Play Store. They typically talk about instability of the app and other things, right? And you can also have the engineering team surface important uh, resilience metrics of the organization, right? How many P0 bugs have been uh, found in production? What is the downtime of the systems, etc.? So that is another key metric. The third metric, which is somewhat difficult to measure, but it's easy in practice to figure out is in terms of code bases that are evolving in unsustainable ways, what you would see is that incrementally it becomes more and more difficult to add new features and evolve the product. Right, So that is a sure shot sign that the product is being built through a whole lot of patches. Mm. And that is what is slowing down the velocity of new feature development uh, for the teams. Right, So I would say that these three different types of areas and the corresponding metrics could be signs that a board and the promoters could watch out for. Got it. So churn and the employee morale, product uh, metrics related to the product. The third is the velocity with which new features or the architectural flexibility to be able to add those. So maybe flipping that around, what should someone look for in a good engineering leader? Um, and we'll start with that, who's an ideal engineering leader, and then we'll go into how do you 
interview and hire that person in yeah i think see typically a good engineering leader who's going to work very closely with a small team or a very small number of teams right maybe like let's say not more than uh, two to three squads of uh, about eight to 10 people each right so this is what typically a series a startup would have at the early stage right so at that stage you would want an engineering leader who is willing to go into details who is willing to get their hands dirty and commands a lot of respect from the engineers because of that factor right because i think in scaled organizations you have multiple levels and you can afford to have tech leads who do that second level role and then engineering leaders being a little bit hands off but i would say for companies in in that early to mid stage you would want engineering leaders with that level of ability to go hands on and typically if you look at people who have done some level of a start up journey or have been part of larger companies which have scaled rapidly so they've gone through that experience and they know the pitfalls of what eventually gets you as an organization that is rapidly growing right and they can learn from that experience and bring that to the table so those are the elements that you would look for when you are looking for a strong engineering leader for your organization for the early side let's take a series b kind of a company there's 50 100 engineers already right and then they see some issues with the uh, things that you pointed out churn or morale or velocity of new products right so and they want to bring in so what should they be looking for yeah i think see experience with scale is always a good thing and uh, typically to be able to do second level management you would have had to have some reasonable level of ability to hire and retain people manage organizations uh, and be able to inspire and engage people right so i think those are important elements and uh, definitely look for past experience that aligns with that sort of trait being demonstrated by a particular potential candidate right uh, have they been part of companies where they have managed teams at that scale they have built products that serve to the same level of scale that my product is aspiring to be in 1 to 2 to 3 years for example right mm-hmm. and because you don't want to bring in a leader who will not scale beyond the next months or one year right because i'll be very disruptive for a growing organization so typically you want to look a little bit ahead but not very far ahead right because if you look too far ahead and then you're trying to bring in somebody who has uh, for a long time done third level fourth level management and managed extremely large scale they may or may not be the right fit right so going to the both extremes is usually not a good idea right and you need to figure out exactly the sweet spot and then look at people who can take you through the next two years i would say right two years of scaling is a good enough uh, time period for looking for a leader with that experience got it when you say second level the depth of the tree right if you're managing a span of 10 and then if each of them is managing 10 like so it's two level be a 100 people organization right okay got it so maybe talk us briefly through how should founder like their first time hiring someone who's going to be managing 100 plus people how should they go about the interviewing process the panel and then dish like any quick tips on that So I think uh, I mean if they are non-tech founders which happens to be the case many times right I would definitely advise them to look at getting some advisors who are able to help them obviously you can uh, rely on reference checks quite a bit right and if you as a startup have been fortunate enough to also have been funded by Axel let's say right or C2 scale program then you can always rely on the network of people that are supporting you from the community that you are working with right to get a lot of references right so referrals are always a great way to bring in people rather than do cold sourcing for a senior leadership role so those are the ones i would say you can rely on in terms of how to source a candidate sure and once they've sourced the candidate like oh, what's a typical panel like in a flipkart and then for let's say a smaller company uh, how should they go about forming that panel because that experience sometimes throws off some of the senior engineering hires so that's why i'm being particular about this. yeah yeah no i fully understand i think see that's also a good indicator right so typically uh, uh, let's say 
if you have a candidate who is able to relate to and work with typically maybe slightly junior talent than that they may have worked with if you are especially looking 2 3 years ahead you are trying to bring in somebody who can help you get to a scale that you aspire to right and they may have already experienced it right so when they come in they should be willing to actually uh, go back a few years in their career and then be able to work with frontline engineers and be able to relate to them right so i think getting a panel that is uh, 360 degrees right so apart from you as a founder i mean obviously the founders have to feel very comfortable with the person from a trust perspective and chemistry perspective right so they need to spend enough time with the person in formal interview settings as well as in informal settings to try to build that level of rapport and comfort mm-hmm. and uh, of course if you have other operations business leaders etc they'll be key stakeholders i'll be working with this person right so they need to be able to feel that they can relate to this person right one of the important aspects of let's say a cto and in many cases in an early stage startup engineering leader also is to be able to abstract technical complexities and being able to convey what is meaningful to the business so that business decisions can be made with the right lens of engineering and product considerations right so being able to understand how easily is the person able to relate their work to business goals are they able mm-hmm. to understand the company's overall strategy consumer value proposition differentiation business model and all of that would be interesting to look at and of course i mean uh, the engineers in the team that will be working with with this person some of the key folks have to talk to this person as well so they feel comfortable because in many startups like really uh, easily a 16 to 18 hours into 7 days a week kind of a gig right so when you are working very closely day in day out like uh, that level of comfort should be very strong and the credibility should be very very thick right so it should be very strong so i would definitely advise a 360 degree panel and taking your time and spending the time with the candidate and the candidate values what you're offering they should be willing to do that as well instead of feeling uncomfortable there is somebody junior in the team is now interviewing me what does it mean right so you really don't want people having that sort of a hang ups etc in a role where they have to work with the early to mid level talent day in and day out right and go back a few years in their career so that's what i would advise on on the interview panel got it and do each of the people have a role let's say this seven eight people interviewing do you assign each person something to check or do they go and answer ask whatever questions any thoughts on that yeah yeah good question i think this is a very codified practice in a bigger company like flipkart right so every interviewer is actually looking for a combination of typically a functional competency and also behavioral competency right so and uh, typically those are aligned with can you give a couple of examples just so, so yeah. uh, for example right in fact i mean i have been helping out with interviews or uh, even hr roles in the company and so on and so forth right so when i talk to let's say somebody coming in at a very senior level let's say typically at a vp level and above uh, right for different functions what do i look for the functional competence i look for is is the person uh, data oriented even in a hr role right is the person actually willing and able and have demonstrated ability to think about technology as a lever to even transform people functions so those are typically the functional aspects that i explore sure. the behavioral competency is normally that i focus on are things around uh, ability to manage and champion change risk taking and innovation and so on and so forth right so typically each of us in a panel consistently go into every candidate we talk to with the same set of functional and behavioral competencies that we want to actually probe into right so that there is a comparative across the slate of candidates that you're talking to right so if you're going in with a very open thing everybody may end up talking to the candidate about the same thing and then it's not a effective interview process right so you want to maximize the level of information exchange happening at that interface through the set of interviews happening right so it's very very important to a priori decide and segment the competencies and assign it to people yeah 
And the last thing I would add is going back to your reference idea. The same thing can be referrals. Anyone who is capable of referring can also probably be, there might be some few people who can be part of the panel as well. And the last stages, right, especially when you shortlist, you can get some senior people from outside the company also, startup to do the final screen, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's very, very important to do reference checks, right? So I think, uh, I mean, you cannot overstate the importance of a reference check, especially for a key role, right? Like, uh, and of course, you will also get references from the candidate, but it's equally important for you to do blind reference checks as well, right? So you know where the person has worked and uh, you you should absolutely look at getting a 360 degree reference. Somebody who has managed the person, somebody who has been a peer of the person and somebody the person has managed, Yeah. right? And then reach out through the network, through trusted contacts and then do blind reference checks. That's perfectly fine. I, I think candidates also expect that that would happen because they understand it's a key role for a, for a company which can make or break the company, right? Yeah. So that, that I would strongly advise that as well. Yeah. yeah so I can't stress the importance of that and good founders figure that out. I'm talking to founders who are in the early stages, right? So the peer and uh, people below reporting in are normally missed. You always talk to people about and the peer is an equally important one for an engineering leader, how they interacted with marketing or a product head. Uh, become super critical. So thanks for flagging that. So switching gears, now you've hired, you've got a team, any, maybe a few minutes on the best practices and then some things to avoid as well that you have gathered over your years in managing large teams. Yeah. So I think typically in startups in very high energy environments, especially when, when it's about knowledge work, right? So people expect a lot of transparency, right? So you would definitely not want to keep critical information from them, uh, be as open as possible, answer their questions honestly, and make them feel that they're a part of the company in every way, including coming up with solutions for the company's problems, right? Any startup however successful it eventually turns out to be, goes through lots of ups and downs, right? And it's uh, important to be transparent and collaborate and cooperate with your people so that they can be a part of the solutioning for it. So that's something that I would uh, strongly advise. In terms of, I think, yeah, I mean, what not to do as well, I think uh, hire enough so that you can power your roadmap, but uh, don't overhire and don't build your teams up too quickly because uh, that by itself can start creating overheads for you as a company, right? And then uh, sometimes these overheads are important and you need to have a large team to deliver on your ambition and roadmap, but uh, being careful about making the choice and taking that middle path is very important. Got it. So we're going to switch and talk about strategy soon. But before we go there, how about goal setting and uh, aligning the engineering organizations? What what are your thoughts there? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I think so, yeah, at Flipkart, for example, we follow a OKR process, right? So it's a process that has worked very well. A lot of uh, Valley companies follow it and have been doing so for a long number of years. Google, for example, is famous for adopting OKRs from their very, very early days, right? As far back as 1999, they went on an OKR system for managing company goals. And uh, it's, it's very important when a company has lots of different business lines, uh, different ambitions, uh, new green shoot initiatives happening along with existing businesses to have a, a very consistent view across the entire company and what are the objectives for the company for this coming planning year? Uh, what are the key results that we want to achieve for each of the objectives, right? And which are metricized, right? So and typically the metrics, there is an acronym, right? Which is a smart metrics, right? So smart basically stands for like a specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound, mm. right? All of these five aspects should be true for any goal that you set for yourself. 
and uh, everything should be measured using clear metrics as a key result. And then you start right up at the CEO level and then start cascading it down to the entire organization. Every function then relates their goals to a company goal through the CEO's own OKRs and they're on and therefore cascade that down to every single engineer in the team, right? So there's a very good way to provide both the transparency to the entire org as well as aligning the org with those goals, right? It serves both purposes at the same time. Got it. And in an organization like Flipkart, there's thousands of people, I'm sure, in engineering itself. How do you how do you go about the process? I'm sure we're going to talk more about it overall as a company, but on the engineering side, and maybe then abstract it down to a like hundred people organization. What's the how does engineering think about key results? What do you measure? Like what are the measurable things? Objectives is okay. Like in, and and maybe just give one or two examples before. Yeah. For example, right, so when uh, like the objectives are typically bucketed into things like platform hygiene, for example, right, so in terms of improving the scaling of the platform, improving uptimes of the platform and various other metrics like security bugs being discovered or P0 metrics in production, etc, etc, bugs in production and those kind of metrics, right. So there are a lot of hygiene metrics you can put and set goals against them for that bucket of platform hygiene. Mm -hmm. So you would also typically have other buckets like uh, typically customer growth is maybe one uh, product tech area right uh, in that you may have several sub areas like growth hacking and others uh, where you may set some goals on whatever your metrics are right for us for example we, we really look at maus like monthly active users daily active users retention and churn metrics conversion metrics in the funnel and all of that stuff right so these are product metrics and typically product metrics have to be strongly supported by concurrent engineering metrics that support them as well right so we segmented into these different uh, functional areas hygiene metrics and various other things and then uh, we identify the top 3 to 5 objectives within that and then set metrics against every every one of those line items got it last question on that is it decided at one or two levels from your uh, your side or does it involve a lot more people what's the process here no, so typically the OKR setting process is, especially for a very large company like uh, Flipkart with very complex and multiple organizations, right? And, and complex interactions between organizations does involve a lot of effort, right? In fact, Narain and his team actually are at the center of it. They drive a lot of the actioning on that front, right? In terms of setting and cascading the, what we call as L0 goal, which is the level zero goal for a particular business unit leader. And then further to that, aligning the L1 and L2 leaders and their goals on how each of the top level goal is broken down into component level goals across multiple functions that come together to achieve that Uber goal. Got it. So it does involve few weeks of work across multiple teams coming together, knowing each other's goals and then crafting their own goals. But it's well worth that time because then it gives you complete clarity throughout the rest of the year on uh, what you need to do and how you need to align your team and objectives with, with what the company needs. Awesome. That's a great segue to Narain. Thanks for patiently listening. So I'd love to get you into the conversation. First, maybe let's start off with a high level. What is the role of the strategy in a, in a mid-sized startup? What is a typical head of strategy look like? Maybe we'll start with that. Yeah, so Anand, I think, uh, see, there is no one standard role for a, for a head of strategy, I think, particularly in a, in a mid-sized startup. So typically, I think the, the standard set of things that a head of strategy is responsible for, like uh, driving the planning process, managing board interactions, building you know growth and profitability plans these are you know part of any strategy heads responsibilities but but generally speaking you also see other aspects that come into play like for example uh, you know being the chief of staff for the ceo you know depending on their experiences they could also help with like you know corp dev alliances partnerships right these are you know things that get baked into the head of strategy function 
And also typically uh, startups are expanding and uh, exploring other areas, new businesses, geographic expansion. Those typically tend to be part of the head of strategy uh, responsibility as well. Um, so I, I don't think there is one specific persona that we can we can ascribe to this. Got it. No, that's a good point you made. The chief of staff plays a lot of strategic roles also, right? And then for the founders who are listening, maybe just talk to talk a little bit about that role. What like the CEO's office and the chief of staff, what do they do? I think it's a very crucial aspect of scaling a CEO, but love for your perspective on that. And, and yeah. Yeah. See, I think specifically the chief of staff, uh, that role exists to, to help the CEO manage and scale their time in the best way possible. You know, in an early stage startup, the CEO is responsible for a lot of different things. And with typically functional leaders having been hired for like specific aspects like, you know, engineering and so on, right? So there is no specific person who's in a position to help the CEO beyond the chief of staff function, right? And so that person essentially becomes a confidant for the CEO, you know, helps organize things at a company level. So I think that becomes, you know, critically important uh, as well. So particularly in, in early stage companies, I think the, the chief of staff function, you know, essentially becomes a larger part of a head of strategy's responsibility as well. Got it. So is it fair to say that maybe that's the role that a early stage startup starts with as a chief of staff or a CEO's office person? And then as they grow, they they become more specialized because you talked about number of things, right? Or maybe some of the roles under that is strategy. Then you said managing, thinking through the profit and loss profiles over time. Maybe CopDev also sometimes comes in there. Anything else I'm missing? Uh, yeah, I think, see, generally speaking, you're probably going to consider hiring for this role when the company is itself transitioning from sort of the founder's intuition-driven decision-making to a more structured and analytical decision-making, right? So that, I think, is a, is a key inflection point. Or another opportunity is where the company is scaling beyond their first initial set of ideas and now they're expanding into, into other business streams, right? And so there are conversations about prioritization, timing, allocation of resources. That is typically when these roles become a lot more important. Another aspect is also the, the type of skill set that exists within the org, uh, right? So the founder brings a certain skill set. You're basically looking for complementary skill sets in the people that you're, you're hiring as well. Uh, and so a lot of those other aspects also go into figuring out who is the right person and when is the right timing to bring a, a person on board. Got it. So that's very helpful. So I think that's a very understated role, at least, or not well understood in the startup community. But I think it's a very important role for the CEO to have a chief of staff and who can... Sort yeah, of I would think of uh, this role as a pinch hitter in a team full of uh, specialists, right? So this is the person who can be company first and is agnostic, a true confidant for the CEO, and also an ability to own things end-to-end. Got it. Typically, this person tends to come from what kind of a background? See, I think you can hire a a strategy person from different types of backgrounds. The most uh, standard route tends to be somebody who's come through consulting or management consulting. I think that tends to be a primary route. In my own case, I've come more from a product and a product strategy background, particularly for technology-centric companies. I think that type of a skill set could be very helpful. I've seen people who come from a quantitative business roles as well. Banking, you mean? Or when you say quantitative? I think this is one of those roles where you know there is no specific formula. So, But such. this person should be able to interface with almost any, any of the marketing, sales, operations, tech, uh, product, uh, anything, right? So finance, HR should be able to interface with any of these specialists, as you put it, and amplify whatever the CEO is doing and be the eyes and ears and talk to them and get back. Is that is that a 
good way of putting it yeah see i think uh, diversity of experience i think uh, definitely helps you know particularly in a startup where you are minimizing the number of hires that you are making so having somebody who can play multiple roles as the startup itself is going through several iterations see i think when things are going well and the initial concept and idea is working then the need for some of these roles become limited but then as the startup continues to grow there are like you know pivots that need to happen or like new areas that we are considering growth is happening at an accelerated rate where there are multiple things that you need to consider right so these roles tend to become more important absolutely so that's helpful setting the context now let's talk about strategic planning process and then how that ties back into maybe the budgeting is one aspect where you plan for the year and then the okrs which jay alluded to in the previous discussion so uh, maybe you can talk through you've been in multiple large companies uh, netapp salesforce and now flipkart how it's done in larger organizations and any learnings that mid-size organizations and say mid-size startups beyond series b c they already have a few hundred employees and and scaling fast so yeah yeah see i think in each of my previous jobs right so we basically run an annual planning process and each time we do a strategy planning process we are doing it on a rolling three year basis right so and generally speaking this happens towards the second half of the year so that the strategy can come together and be fully baked and ready for execution at the beginning of the next calendar of fiscal year it's whatever the the company does so at flipkart typically our process starts post bbd big billion day is sort of this big signature event for the company there's a lot of things that uh, that cascade and end with that event and so our next year in a way planning for it starts post uh, post bbd so we actually prefer and actually in most of my jobs right so we try to make the process inclusive right so you want to have your strategy process work with a broader set of leaders within the company i would say ceo and maybe two to three levels down right and our process includes both a top down component where there are certain central sort of sources of truth around like you know market growth share you know views on like primary competition and so on that can be synthesized centrally and then you want you know that to be augmented by bu specific bottom up views on where those respective functions are going from a three year process and so once you go through that process which could happen over a period of like you know one or two months then finally a central team can then synthesize all of this into what we finally call is the published company strategy right so in our case once we do that we also validate some of this and share some of this with our board right so in either our you know say december board meeting or something like that some of this gets gets shared and validated and now the strategy is ready for execution and that is where we connect the strategy to our okr process so typically you know we try to end the calendar year by writing you know kalyans or or our l0 okr right and so where the company priorities for the subsequent year are written and published following that we then work with the l1 leaders as jay was explaining right so the uh, sorry before we go there how does that tie up with the budgeting process is that in tandem or yeah so the budgeting process starts towards the end of the strategy process right so the aspiration of what we are trying to do from a rolling 3 year standpoint is articulated in your strategy process then the budget in a way is a constraint right that says of all of the things that we want to do this is probably what we can potentially do over let's say the next 12 months and so then things that we aspire for probably need to then be cascaded further beyond right so to us that budgeting exercise essentially becomes one of those guardrails that we work with as part of the budgeting exercise you know maybe there are goals that are being set for growth and profitability as well some of those will need like you know new investments to be made both in terms of like you know innovation to be built 
or like you know operational processes to be to be expanded and so on and so those also need to be factored in as you translate strategy into actual specific okrs for the year so between strategy and finance you go back and forth to a certain extent as an organization and then adjust each other's uh, boundaries i'm guessing yeah so I, i would say the aop process probably you know comes in towards the back half of the strategy process and then continues through into the okr planning process right so at least in large companies you know what we aspire to do is a lot more than what we are able to actually formally execute or take up in a particular execution cycle got it um, and so there's a lot more of of the overlap with the okr process for uh, for aop plan got it so that's very helpful most startups go through the annual operating plan process in the time frame december jan whenever that time frame but i haven't seen companies do too much of the strategic planning the three year rolling do you see any pros and cons of doing the strategic planning uh, in a startup see i think it depends on where the startup is and what its uh, level of maturity is to the extent that the startups you know primary business area is working there is enormous growth still like you know left in that function and that is still the primary focus then maybe the strategy exercise can be you know more straightforward as soon as you are now talking about multiple business functions expanding into other areas there are a lot of different strategic choices that need to be made both in terms of like you know company focus and also company resources and how those need to be you know balanced i think then having a, a process like this you know definitely works and i think the churn to the strategy that is put together is probably much higher in a younger company where right? things are are changing constantly you know there are competitive pressures external like sort of you know things that that cause them to pivot much faster and so sometimes startups might feel that it is it is probably not worth the time to do it but as the business is stabilizing and now it feels like you know it's a little more predictable i think definitely doing a strategy exercise um, you know makes sense yeah and we are talking about companies that are already beyond series bc which have hopefully a chief of staff or a ceo's office which can lead this i sometimes feel thinking beyond the one year and thinking three years back you'll also unlock what what you're missing what else what are the capabilities you need to build maybe hopefully that you've seen in a large company also right yeah that's right i think uh, the fact that you're doing a three year strategy and you're talking about new things uh, for the company to do doesn't mean that you're going to have to do all of them right away right i think it is just like you know laying the road map out it is painting the sort of that longer term vision for the company and i think that in itself is helpful yeah. it actually helps a lot of downstream teams plan as well got it so switching gears now how do you translate that into okrs what's the process there in especially any pitfalls we've heard about okrs how to do it like practically what are the things that you run into to think through and avoid Yeah. Yeah. See, I think uh, we've been running uh, OKRs sort of in a full-blown fashion for the last, you know, two and a half to to three years. And I think you know each year we do it, we get better. So, and we've also run the strategy process that I articulated, this rolling three-year strategy. And we've sort of managed to end each calendar year by publishing, you know, the L zero OKR for the company, right? And really, the hard work starts after that, right? So now you have to then work with each of the functional leaders to tie. you know the ceo's okr to each of their respective functions they were involved though right in the process so this nothing is a surprise yeah yeah nothing is a surprise but then you know you are getting to the next level of detail on what specifically we need to take on and the okrs are not just about like you know innovation or like you know trying to drive the core aspects of the business they could be all of the support aspects right there could be targets that people are taking from a people and hr standpoint there are targets that people are taking from an operational uh, standpoint so there are a lot of different other things that also sort of come into respective l1 okrs and also the metrics and how you 
tie L1 metrics to ultimately the L0 metrics, that becomes an interesting conversation as well. So a lot of those things are happening during the next phase. See, I think the other important aspect of OKRs is particularly at the highest two or three levels, there are still only a subset of people within the company who are, who are exposed to it, right? And so, so really cascading, you know, what has been decided and written into the OKRs becomes a very important point, right? So doing closed loop on both strategy and OKRs becomes very important. And to some extent, I think this is where we are also sort of, you know, learning and we are doing a lot more. I think if you were to talk to the senior most leaders within the company, I think they feel they have a really good visibility into both what company strategy is and what uh, company priorities are. But then as you go further down, I think there's a lot more work that we can do. We've also taken a sort of a more practical approach because I think rolling out OKRs in any company is a multi-year journey. And I think we are, let's say, two or three years into that uh, sort of five, six year type of a journey. Eventually, I think you want to get to a place where every single person within the org is able to write their OKRs and, and link it all the way to, to the CEO's OKR. So, you know, most recently before I joined Flipkart, I was at uh, Salesforce. And, and I think that company, having uh, done this for, for many more years, were at a point where like literally every person in the org would write an OKR. And that OKR was part of the company directory, right? So just like you would go look up somebody's phone number, try to figure out where they, they sit in the office, there's also a link to that person's OKR. Mm. So, so even before you go set up a meeting and meet them, you can click on them, understand what their priorities are, and that enables you to have the right type of conversation with them. Yeah, I think it's going to take us a, a little while to, to get there. But we've taken a sort of a more of a gradual approach to rolling this. That's amazing. So because it's not only the goals and vision and bringing everyone focus, right? It's also the transparency that brings if you're able to do that. But many startups go through this and then drop it six months, one year in. Right. So any any thoughts for them? Like what how should they approach this? They start the process. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think having clarity of what your most important priorities are, I think is super helpful. Right. And if companies are trying to deal with the complexity of running a full blown OKR, I would uh, definitely urge them to to scale it back and do a like a rev one of it, where maybe it is just the CEO's priorities, right, that are cascaded all the way down. And in a small company, you know, it's possible that the CEO's priorities are everybody's priorities, right? At least at that level, I think there should be an exercise. And then as the company gets bigger and, and more complex, then the additional layers can be can be built. But I think definitely having a central document, a central vision statement, which is three years out, knowing that, you know, there will be aspects of it that will change, I think is still worthwhile the exercise. Awesome. And that's super helpful. The last couple of minutes, Maybe things around innovation. What is Flipkart doing? I was excited to see you guys launch the Leap program. So maybe talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. This is something that I'm uh, actually personally excited about. Yeah. I think uh, innovation, you know, is a key part of Flipkart's DNA. I think our own uh, stated uh, values around audacious thinking, bias for action, customer centricity. These are all things that we celebrate, right? And they enable innovation within the company. But as, uh, as the company has been uh, getting bigger, I think we have to come up with other ways to, to ensure innovation is thriving within the org. Two interesting initiatives uh, that we, are, we have launched recently, you know, one is called the 1K program. It goes to the quote where let a thousand flowers bloom. Mm. We want to enable innovation from within the org, right? So any rank and file person within the company can bring up an idea and we want to sort of, you know, enable innovation through that program, similar to the Google 10% program. So we've instituted something very similar at Flipkart as well. The other piece is where we want to champion innovation that's happening in the broader ecosystem. So innovation can happen anywhere, right? And so we want to sort of, you know, take advantage of it. We want to be a champion for innovation in India. And it is with that sort of, you know, objective, we've launched Flipkart Leap, 
which is our you know startup accelerator you know we've been a poster child for entrepreneurship in this country for the last like you know 10 plus years and so the flipkart leap is basically our way to pay that forward as well right and uh, so we are accepting a select number of startups into a four month program where they get both business and technology mentorship there is a $25000 equity free grant to the companies as well and we've announced the program i think now it's been 3 3 or 4 weeks and the interest has been has been very strong and so entrepreneurs and founders who want to apply to this program can go to flipkartleap.com and submit an application got it that's great and this is a grant so there's no equity or anything and any other benefits of joining the program so there are a lot of you know learnings and pitfalls that early stage startups have to go through so getting sort of you know mentorship from people who've been there who've done that who've gone through that journey themselves uh, you know both at flipkart and also through our you know partnership ecosystem where we work with a lot of different vcs for example like you anand there are other sort of you know angel investors and so on who are part of the network and there are many people who are willing to give their time and effort to to see some of these startups uh, become successful and avoid some of the pitfalls that they themselves might have gone through in their past uh, journey we are really excited about you know making that opportunity available you know and working very closely with startups awesome that's that's a great initiative thanks for doing that uh, that brings us to the close really appreciate uh, jay and narain taking the time sharing your learnings both on the tech side as well as strategy and the whole planning process these are all things that are not normally discussed in the startup ecosystem and seeing how it's done in a larger organization by professionals like you is super helpful so really appreciate you taking the time thank you thanks anand thank you thanks anand hope you enjoyed the chat with jay and narain from flipkart jay walked us through how startups at scale should go about setting up their engineering leadership nurturing the early engineering talent at setting up engineering processes right from start narin shared his perspective on strategy vertical strategy planning processes how to how startups should go about implementing okrs for better execution and how a company like flipkart looks at looks at innovation at scale we hope you like this podcast and got something new to learn from it if you have some feedback for us let us know at twitter at axel_india and visit us on c2scale.com/insights don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends who you think might benefit from this stay tuned for more episodes from the scale playbook thank you and stay safe okay.